Um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about testing and approving um, godly love. And um, love has many different definitions. Uh, it can mean different things to different people. And for me, uh, love is actually it's very powerful. Um, to receive love, to embrace that and acknowledge that I am loved by God and by my parents and by my friends, it's, it affects me a lot. But I would be lying if I told you that love is always easy, right? If there are times when love is actually hard, when you fight, when you butt heads with people that you really care for. It's easy to say that I love you when uh, things are going well. It's another thing to say um, I love you when you don't see eye to eye on everything. But thankfully... In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 21, you guys can actually turn your Bibles there. Paul lays out a standard for us. He lays out a clear definition of what this kind of godly love is. That love requires sacrifice. Love requires humility. It requires putting others first. That love even requires responding to evil, to pain, with love. But before we get into the passage, um, let's do a quick recap of what we did last week. Last week, we talked about how Paul exhorted us to renew our minds, that we test our motivations and our actions in accordance to God's values. And when we do that, we, when we test our motivation and our actions in accordance, in accordance to God's values, we prove, we approve whether or not it is in line with God's will. That we consider whether or not our actions would be God-honoring, God-glorifying, and this is a continual process. This isn't something that we do just once, but we embrace every single day. And it is this constant testing and approving that renews our minds, that separates us from the world, where we adopt a Christ-like perspective. And then after he exhorts us to renew our minds, Paul actually um, challenges us with a very specific application within the context of the church. It is by being humble and not prideful here at church. It is by acknowledging that what gifts God has given us and using those gifts to build this church. And each and every one of these gifts are useful, important, and have a purpose. Well, today Paul is going to provide another practical Example of how we can renew our minds, how we can test and approve whether or not we are in line with God's will. And this time, it's actually in the area of love. In verse 9, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, in the Greek, there are different words for, uh, for love. Um, For example, there's romantic love, there's brotherly love, there's love for self even. And the word Paul uses here is actually agape love, and this is a love for everyone. But scripture uses this to describe the love, um, or scripture uses the word agape specifically to describe the love that Christ has for us all. And so when you see the word agape um, in scripture, it it, it refers to a self-sacrificial love. And of all the loves that are named um, in the Bible, that are described in the Bible, agape love is actually the highest. 
And it's interesting that Paul says that one trait of the sacrificial love, of this agape love, is that we must hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And, and in other words, there's a moral dimension to love. Now, this is so interesting to me because you normally, I don't normally think about morality when it comes to love. But, you know, the, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Morality and love actually work on several levels together. So, for example, if I have love between friends, if I love my friend, I'm not going to steal from him. Right? Because that would be evil. If he gives me his keys, I'm not going to make a copy and then rob him later. Right? Because if I did, that would be evil. And if my friend does something that isn't morally right or isn't morally good... If I love him, I'm going to rebuke him. I'm going to call him out on it, on the hopes to point him to righteousness. I'm going to hold him accountable. And it's because I despise evil and I cling to what is good. What about marriage? Love within the context of marriage. Even in the context of marriage, this is true. Love has a morality, a dimension of morality. A husband shouldn't cheat on his wife and a wife shouldn't cheat on his husband because they together are supposed to hate what is evil. And so what we see is that these rules and standards of morality actually govern our actions of love. And in this way, this is one way we can test and approve whether or not our love is in line with God's will. Another criteria of godly love is devotion and putting people first. In verse 10, it says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. The word Paul uses here this time for love in the Greek is phileo. This is a deep love between two very close friends or between family. And so this is an intimate connection between two people. And so Paul is exhorting the church to view one another as family. And it is in this context that they are to one another, uh, to honor one another above themselves. And so specifically, Paul is exhorting the church in Rome to be humble. That godly self-sacrificial love is to consider each, uh, to consider others above themselves, just like how Christ did for us. That we are to put aside our preferences. Uh, we are supposed to put aside what is convenient or com- comfortable for us. And instead, we are to put our brothers and sisters ahead of ourselves. This is another way in which we can test and approve whether we are in line with God's will in our love. Do we place other people's first? Do we place the brothers and sisters in this church above ourselves? Do we place their needs above ourselves? The next criteria that Paul lays out in um, Romans chapter 12 is a godly love is zealously serving God. In verse 11, it says, Never uh, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. The type of zeal Paul is talking about here is one where you are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, one where he inspires you to do God's work. However, this only fits within the context of obedience and service to God. And so, do you passionately love the church? Does the Holy Spirit inspire you to love your brothers and sisters here? Do your actions serve God in some shape or form? Or is it more self-serving? Is it about more loving others when it's easy, when it's convenient? The next criteria that we can use to test 
Whether or not our love is approved by God's will is how we handle hardship. Here it says, uh, share in, uh, be joyful in hope. Yeah, okay, sorry. Uh, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. When you face hardship, when we face tough decisions, when you feel lonely or sad, or like nothing is going our way, like how do we respond? Do we give up? Do we, do we get angry at life? Do we get angry at God? Do we, do we retreat and hide away? Or do we combat this hardship with joy? Do we wait patiently in the midst of affliction, trusting in God's sovereignty, and that He works all things for the good of those who love Him? Do we remain faithful to God in prayer by continually relying on His guidance, His support? Do we pray to God for relief? Or instead, do we just uh, go go to Netflix or, or eating or sleeping to hide away from our misery? Basically, when it comes to hardship, is God our refuge? Next, we see that another criteria in, that falls within godly love, and it falls actually under the spiritual gift of giving and mercy. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And I think it's, it's very poignant that he brings this up because Paul is a missionary. And so um, the next season of Christianity that Paul has in his mind is one of evangelism, of spreading the gospel, right? Because in order, because Christ says, go forth and make disciples of all nations. And so that's what Paul is doing. He's going from city to city. Um, he goes to East Asia. He goes to the Middle East and he, and he tries to evangelize and, and preach the word of God. And so in his mind, he's thinking the next phase of Christianity is that of doing missionary work, of of sending people out. And so um, that's why I believe he focuses here on hospitality. But not only is this a mission-focused command, but the role of giving to those who are in need, the role of, of hospitality is actually part of the DNA of the early church. We saw this in Acts during the Pentecost when all these people came and, um, and, Paul, and then Peter and the disciples were, were, you know, baptized by the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues and they were sharing the word of God. And these people who had only planned to stay uh, for the Passover, they see the Pentecost and all of a sudden they see Peter speaking in tongues and they see this, this truth. And so they decide to stay longer than they had anticipated. They don't have, there's no bank account. They, don't, they can't wire money. And so what they do, what the people in, in Rome do, they, they sell their possessions so that people can stay longer. They create tents and they create a community and they give food to the people who want to stay and learn. We even saw this practice of giving when people are in need um, in the feeding ministry that the, that the disciples had. When they, they uh, fed uh, the widows and they fed the orphans and, and it actually got so overwhelming that the disciples had to give it away to other members in the church so that they could handle it, so that the disciples themselves could focus on preaching and teaching. The next section that Paul um, actually shifts towards is is the type of love that we should have with those who aren't Christian. Even those who actively oppose or attack us. In in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So Paul here challenges the people in Rome to be gracious in the midst of persecution, to respond to hate with love, to respond to anger with blessing. 
And again, I'm sure at this point, Paul has a future mindset. God has blessed him with some foresight. He sees that a time of oppression is coming for the Christians. And in order to prepare them for the upcoming persecution, he tells them, he commands them to bless those who persecute you. So we can test and improve whether we are practicing godly, sincere love by blessing those who come against us. And, and this is actually pretty hard. And, um, and for me specifically, there are so many times where I've been hurt by someone and, and, I, and I act uh, passive aggressively. You know, um, I'm going to be honest, there was, a, there was a girl in college that, that was just like super mean to me. Uh, recently, she added me on, on LinkedIn and like I just straight up left, left that pending for like maybe a good month. And it's because I'm so angry. I'm so, I have so many uh, bad emotions toward her. But finally, I just, I caved in, um, like in preparation, because I read verse 14 and I was like, ah, oh, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to bless, right? I'm not, if somebody persecutes me, I'm supposed to bless them. And so I felt convicted and, and then I click accept. And so, and so when we love others, are we, are, are we willing to respond to evil with good? Are we willing to bless those who curse us? The next criteria um, that Paul gives us is a perspective or attitude with people in general that we are to be compassionate, to, to live harmoniously and be humble. In verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If there was ever a verse in the Bible that exemplifies compassion, it is verse 15. Because what does Paul say? What does he exhort us to do? He tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. He tells us to mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say, hey, cheer people up when they're sad. That's not what Paul says here. It doesn't, Paul doesn't exhort people to say, hey, like fix people's situations when they come to you with their problems. But instead, what Paul says is, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. He says to sit in other people's sorrow with them so that they know that you are there, that you resonate with them, that you're right there with them. And, and if they're happy, be happy with them, rejoice with them. And this is godly love. This is how we live harmoniously with other people, by, by joining in other people's joy and also in their sadness. Finally, the last criteria that we can use to prove whether or not our love is approved by God's will is to overcome evil with good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, do, not, uh, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, do, not overcome by, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and what a powerful concept here. Paul says, don't be overcome by evil. So when someone steals from you 
If someone were to kill if someone were to kill someone I loved, my immediate response would be to take vengeance. It would be to inflict the same amount of pain on the other person, the same amount of harm that they did to me. But what Paul says here is that rather than repaying, repaying evil for evil, we are to repay evil with good. And, and as I was praying and as I was thinking about why I have such a deep desire for vengeance whenever someone hurts me, it's, it, I, I, you know, God revealed to me that it has to do with a little bit of control. It has to do with me wanting to take justice into my own hands. To take justice for myself. But in verse 19 to 20, it says that justice is actually God's. It's not mine to have. Just like how God is the judge of whether we enter into heaven or hell. Just like how God is the judge of of what is right and what is evil. God also is the one who takes justice on my behalf. He is the one. That's why in verse 20 it says, um, if, if you give food to your enemy, if you give your, your enemy, uh, if he's thirsty, if you give him drink, it says that you will be, heap burning coals on his hand. You're just compounding the issue You're by, by responding with grace. And the thing is, God sees all of this. He sees that you respond to evil with good. And we are able to do this. And, and that is, um, and we are able to do this because uh, we have God's love that grounds us, that sustains us, that, that showed us how to love others who are enemies. Right? Because if it was based out of my own strength, out of my own concept of, of love, I wouldn't have any to give. But because it is, my love is uh, centered around Christ, because my love is centered around self-sacrifice and, and, and Christ demonstrated for me that I am to love others, um, those who have come against me, those who I would consider my enemies that we saw in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It's because we have Christ that we are able to actually renew our minds and to break free from the cycle of, of repaying evil for evil, from breaking free of this completely destructive cycle of revenge. Right, Because what happens if I do take um, this mentality of I'm supposed to take an eye for an eye? Well, well if, if I take his eye, he's going to want to take vengeance on me. Right, He's going to want to take my arm. And then I'll want to take his arm. And, and this vicious cycle just plays out over and over again. But what God and what Paul exhorts us to do is that when we experience evil, maybe at work, right? Um, when we experience evil uh, with our friends, if somebody um, um, steals from us or whatever, when we experience these things, rather than taking justice into our own hands, we are to actually respond with grace we are to respond with love because that is an example of love that does not fit into the context of this world that is atypical love that is godly love and when someone who treats you with evil receives love and receives goodness in response there is a break And it is in that moment that we as Christians can say, look, the love of this world does not fit into your paradigm. But the reason I am capable of responding to evil, I'm capable of responding to to you attacking me and being hurt with goodness, with love, is because Christ demonstrated that for me. 
Christ demonstrated that in my own life. When I was a sinner, when I disobeyed Him, when I was adulterous in my own heart by worshiping other gods, God had compassion on me. He had space to accept me. He had space to hear me. For He gave me opportunity to repent. And it is because that I have experienced this from God, I am capable, I know that this love exists, and therefore I'm, I am aware and capable of extending the same love to you. And so, what we see here is, Paul is um, exhorting us towards godly love. He calls us at the beginning of chapter 12 to renew our minds, to separate ourselves from the world. And one very specific and practical way that Paul tells us to do this is by testing and approving our own godly love for others who are both Christian and non-Christian. We are to hate evil And we are to love good. We are to cling on to good. We are to put others first. We are to serve God zealously. We are, when we are in hardship, we are to be joyful, patient, and faithful. We are called to actively be hospitable. And finally, instead of repaying evil for evil, we are to repay evil with good. We are, in fact, to overcome evil, convince evil, Point evil to good with our love. Now, when I look at this list, it's, it's a tall order. It's a tall task. It, it's, it's a lot that is required of me to have godly love. It's really hard, uh, probably impossible to follow these commandments every single day for 24-7 out of the week. And actually, I think in this way, the New Testament is actually very similar to that of the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, the purpose of the law was actually, um, it was to set a very high standard so that our sins could be exposed. So that when we measured ourselves to God's standards, we would realize, man, we fall short. And in, when we fall short, it exposes in us a, a need. And that need is to have Christ. Right, and, and I think that's what Paul is doing here as well. And what God is doing through Paul by laying out these commandments of godly love. God lays out a standard that is really hard for us to keep. And you know what, this is, this is why it's not human love that Paul is talking about. But rather it is godly love. It's according to God's standards, not the standards of this world. And so, just like how it says in this verse, when we are faced with hardship, when we are faced with something uh, impossible, what is our response? Do we give up? No, rather instead we are to um, face hardship with, with joyfulness, with patience, with faithfulness. 
Our job and our role, and when we read this passage, is to view it as a goal for us to strive for every single day. This is something that we pursue after. And though we may never achieve reaching the standard, what we do is we enter into a process of constantly renewing our minds, of separating ourselves from the love of this world, and instead adopting the love of God. We are, we are invited, by, by laying out the standard, God invites us into a process where we are to resist loving evil, that we are to resist being selfish, to resist giving up when things are hard, to resist seeking vengeance. And as we enter into this process of of striving for and trying to achieve what may be unattainable, what we'll see is that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will eventually start to choose love more often than not. We'll choose goodness more often than not. We'll choose to be selfless. We'll choose to overcome evil with good more often than not. And it is in this way that we become transformed in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. It is in this way through the help of the Holy Spirit that we actually get to experience victory over sin in this life, we get to experience the joy of freedom of sin in this life. We, that's not something we have to wait for until we die, but this is something that God freely avails, of, um, of, gives to us as Christians. And it is a, a powerful and beautiful experience that we get to participate in and join in with the Holy Spirit. As we strive to, to embody godly love, we have the beautiful opportunity to reflect God's love to the people around us. And though we may never get rid of constantly being selfish, even though we may never get rid of the desire of, you know, of wanting to repay evil with good, the times that we do, the times we do choose to be selfless, the times that we do choose to respond with grace, to respond with good in light of evil, is a victory. It is physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit transforming our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. It is in this way, this very practical way that exists in our actions, that Paul is inviting us to renew our minds to separate ourselves from the world and instead to take on a godly mindset. And so, uh, yeah, one of my favorite phrases, the evidence is in the pudding, guys. Like it's, the evidence is in our lives. It's in how we think. And, um, and hopefully, as you strive for godly love, as you strive to separate yourselves from the world, as you strive to renew your mind, you'll see evidence of this. And the evidence, you know, maybe is, well, you'll see more clearly five years from now, ten years from now. You look back at your life and you say, I remember when I was, it was so hard for me to forgive people. I remember when all I wanted to do was just to um, just to be selfish. But now, praise Jesus. 
that with the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm different. I, can, I have the freedom to be selfless. I get to enjoy the, 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 the goodness of, of being hospitable to other people. Right? And, and um, I think there's absolutely an invitation, a, a space for us as Christians to revel in, in our changes, and to revel and to take joy and, and to um, praise God and say, thank you, God, because I'm a better person because of you. Because you've called me to renew my mind. And the person that I am today is different from who I was five years ago, ten years ago. And that to me is evidence that God, you are real. Because without you, God, without the help of the Holy Spirit, without these wonderful standards for us, for me to strive towards, I would be incapable of change. I would not know any better. And so I guess ultimately what I, what I feel um, when I read this passage is, is, is an invitation for, for us to renew our minds. It's an invitation to have an opportunity, to have an experience of joy. To have eager expectation that in like one year from now, in two years from now, that you will get to see change. You'll get to see the Holy Spirit transform your mind and your heart. And that in one or two years from now, you, can, you get to rejoice. So um, we'll get the worship team up and we're going to uh, have a time of prayer. And as we pray, I invite you to reflect on the message today, to reflect on godly love and to reflect on how your life, how you can strive for these seven things in your life. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you call us to renew our minds. And Lord, as we consider godly love, we acknowledge, man, it's super hard. But Father, we're excited. We are excited to enter into a process of transformation so that, Lord, we can get to become better people. We get to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives so that in one year, two year, three year, we can say we've changed and we've changed because of you. So, so inspire us, Holy Spirit. Inspire us to strive for goodness. Inspire us to embody godly love in our lives. And Lord, may we, may we wait in eager expectation, God, so that when we see evidence of your love, evidence of your transformative power, that we can rejoice.